if money didn't matter. Business is a tool for life. You don't get what you want in life. You only get what you're willing to suffer for. You're entering the age of entrepreneurs with Clark Varon. How world-class entrepreneurs succeed in business and life. Ever since his first job at 14 years old, Art Subcheck has been selling over the phone. His company, Business by Phone, has helped hundreds of thousands of salespeople generate untold millions of dollars by implementing his conversational, common sense, and non-salesy techniques. He's received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals, and he just released the third edition of Smart Calling, How to Take Fear, Failure, and Rejection out of cold calling. And once again, it became a number one Amazon bestseller in the business sales category. Let's welcome Art Subcheck. How are you doing, Art? (laughs) Hey, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, totally. I briefly told you this before when we uh, were chit-chatting before the show, but I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I feel like cold calling has accelerated my career. Uh, Like at 14 years old, I told you I started cold calling. My dad told me you can start calling for my business as soon as my voice drops. And uh, it was that experience that truly like eliminated, or didn't completely eliminate, but like reduced the fear of rejection, the fear of failure that I feel like has pushed me further, farther than I've ever been before. Well, that's awesome. I always say that everybody is a born salesperson because if you think about it, kids are the greatest salespeople and you just continued on like I did (laughs) where a lot of people decide to get out of it and then they start letting the no's affect them. And as a result, it it hinders their performance. And if you think about it as kids, we really don't care about no's, right? Because we're we're just going to ask again or just we're going to find another decision maker to ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And that brings up an interesting point. Some, you said so many people get out of sales, like they, they go run for the Hills. They, they experience the fear and the rejection and they try to get out as fast as possible. And you embraced it a hundred percent. And you say you love cold calling more than anything else. Why? Like, that's my biggest question for you. Why do you love it? Well, well, first of all, I don't call it cold calling anymore because cold calling actually is is kind of dumb. And I define cold calling as calling somebody that you don't know who doesn't know you and just making call after call and giving the same pitch to everybody that's not personalized and not tailored. So that's the opposite of what, what smart calling actually is. And uh, I mean, early on, anybody that started a business, and I know we're talking to entrepreneurs here, I mean, anybody that starts a business, are normally our, our number one challenge is how we're going to get customers. And for, again, a lot of people, it's, well, the quickest, fastest way to do it is to pick up the phone and engage somebody in a conversation as opposed to waiting for somebody to contact us first or dumping a lot of money in advertising that may or, or may not work. So I was, I was forced to do it uh, early on when I started my business, went into corporate life, which was, again, in, in sales and, and doing prospecting with the old AT&T way back in the day. And then when we started our business, I left with a partner. Uh, we made every mistake in the book, by the way, including leaving with no clients. And uh, so therefore, we're sitting around with overhead and, and uh, bills to pay and no money coming in thinking, okay, how are we going to get clients? Well, we need to do what we're, we're supposedly teaching people how to do. And, and that is uh, jump on the phone and, and start, start trying to drum up some business. So, um, and, and 
for many of us, we reach the point where we don't need to do it as much. I still do it for practice for, for a variety of different things, um, but I, I don't have to rely on it anymore. And, but, but you're right. So much of it is, is mindset. And a lot of people, um, well, let, let's put it this way. Most people today who are my age probably didn't pick sales necessarily as a career. They, they kind of wound up doing it. Um, and then they had to figure out, well, if, if I'm going to do it, how am I going to be good at it? And there, there's a lot of stuff out there that has been written and taught over the years that contributes to the, the fear of failure and rejection. For example, the things that people say right at the beginning of a call. Uh, in the book, I go through 26 mistakes that people need to avoid that normally will, will cause the, the rejection. And I don't even like to use the word rejection because that, that really is a mindset. I mean, we can get into that too if you want. So this must have changed. Like you've been doing this for what, 35 years? Well, actually I started my business over 35, I think 37 years ago. I mean, I started my business when I was 23 years old and uh, left, left the cushy corporate life to, to go start a business. So I always knew I was going to have a business, but right out of college, I decided, yeah, maybe I'll just go take a corporate job first and get some experience and, and make some money. But from the very first day that I started there, I knew that I was going to be doing something on my own. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I've been, I've been doing this in my own business for, for a long time. So how do you think that the necessity of uh, being on the phone with someone has changed over the years because there's a lot of new technology that people are using to, you know, aid the sales process. How has like the phone's purpose evolved over the years? Well, I, I don't know if the phone phone's purpose has really changed because really what, what we use the phone for is to make a human connection and have a conversation with, with another human being. I think what has happened over the years is that people have taken their eye off the ball and uh, they have gotten lazy in some cases and they've looked for the maybe what they perceive to be the least risk alternative, which might be an email, which might be a fax, which might be direct mail, which might be some other form of automation. But still, the most effective way to communicate, number one, is face-to-face. -face. And I used to say number two is over the phone, but now I think we got to insert video and, 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 and audio in there. And, and, then, and then we have the phone. But, but it's, it's real-time communication. So I don't think the, the, the purpose or the result of using the phone has changed. But over, over time, people have gotten away from it a little bit, again, because they're, they're relying more on technology. But you know what? The most successful ones, uh, for them, it's never left. And especially with, uh, we're, we're recording this, hopefully towards the end of the, the pandemic, but for the most part, people are still working remotely. And uh, I can tell you that what I've, I, what I've experienced over the past three months is that many, many people who had gotten away from human conversation and using the phone, uh, now we're panicking. And even within organizations that had have salespeople and unfortunately had to furlough some of them. The first ones that I heard from managers who were let go were the ones who were not effective at actually having human to human conversations. They were the ones that relied more on tapping on a keyboard and, you know, sending out, you know, you, you know emails or doing social media or what have you. When in fact, again, most effective way to communicate is what we're doing right now, having a real time conversation.
So what do you say to people? I mean, you probably hear on a regular basis, well, phones are going out of style. You know, we've got these devices that we call phones because they started as phones, but now they do pretty much everything. <laughs> and this is a quote straight from you. They pretty much do everything well, mm-hmm. except for <laughs> make phone calls. That's You're referring right. specifically mm-hmm. to cell phones in that, uh, in that little snippet, but. I've still got a landline here and a, and a, and a headset because <laughs> for, for that very reason, I, I don't like to do business on a mobile phone simply because the quality still isn't there. I mean, they're awesome for uh, computing power. But <laughs> so what do I say for people that, that, that say that, you know, people don't use the phone anymore? Well, for, for anybody that says, you know, the, the calling is dead or nobody uses the phone anymore. Nobody picks up the phone. Uh, prospecting is dead. I just have to go point to the people that are doing it uh, successfully and, and crushing it. And it, I mean, I, I just have to have to laugh when somebody will make a blanket statement and says, nobody does this thing anymore. Well, granted, maybe in their view of the world uh, and maybe that's what they or they, their friends do or don't do. But in business, uh, people are still communicating over the phone. And mm-hmm. I can't make that general statement in all niches because maybe in, in some certain industries, in, in some cases, somebody might want to text a little bit more. But I, I mean, I can show you example after example, study after study, all of my other colleagues out there who propose the use of the phone. We, we know that because we're working with the people who are doing it and doing it successfully and never really ever got away from it. Uh, you know, the thing is, Clark, the, the fundamentals are the fundamentals for a reason. And they're tested over time and, and they still work. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you feel like you're using social media in order to, not just social media, but like any of the new technology in order to like aid that process? I've, I'm, I'm a digital marketer. My, I spend my time like in the copywriting space. And so I'm familiar with a few of the like phone call funnels. Do you, do you use any of those? Well, I don't want people to think that here, here's this old crotchety guy that get off my lawn, uh, you know, could only use the phone because I, again, remember I started out when I was 23 in, in business and I originally built my business on a combination of direct response marketing and using the phone. So direct response marketing is what today's digital marketing is. Mm-hmm. And most things that are being used by online marketers, digital marketers had its genesis in, in direct response marketing, uh, direct mail and you know, mm-hmm. those type of advertising, that type of advertising. So over the years, I've adopted technology as it, as it came into play. I mean, when, when fax first came out and fax on demand, I was, I was using that as part of my marketing. Uh, when, when that internet thing first came around, I had one of the first uh, shopping carts on a website. I've had an email newsletter since 1996. So uh, I've been doing sales automation. I was one of Infusionsoft's first customers back in the day. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and still use it. And, and, and I'm a marketing geek myself. So um, yeah, I mean, I use all of that stuff, including social media. And it's not necessarily my, my thing of choice, but here's the thing for most business people, we are not our customers. And I, you know, I resisted getting on Twitter uh, when I think first got on Facebook 10 years ago, I resisted getting on that. But again, we're going where our customers are. And LinkedIn, of course, salespeople 
salespeople must be on LinkedIn. That one's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I haven't done yet that there are other people in my space that have, have used successfully that I'm probably going to jump into is, is Instagram. And, um, and I've been studying it, just, just haven't done it yet, but, but probably will. So I use all the technology here. Here's the thing. The, I mean, the, the phone just doesn't stand alone. And, uh, and, and I don't propose that that should be the only tool that we have in our toolbox. What I'm saying is, mm-hmm. is that really most offline conversations should be designed to lead us to an online or to, excuse me, most offline conversations, most online conversations digitally should lead to a real time conversation, either face to face through video or over the phone. Awesome. Well, let's dive into some of like the, the meat and potatoes questions of sales strategy. Uh, one thing that you really try to drive home is that salesmanship shouldn't feel salesy. How do you make salesmanship non-salesy? Well, I mean, number one, is I'm having I'm struggling with that question simply because for me, it never ever seemed salesy. If you're doing it professionally and you're doing it in the right way. So it has a lot to do with the stories that people have been told and and the stories they tell themselves about what sales really is. And I understand that as, as a profession, it is made fun of and it's looked down upon because of people's experiences with bad salespeople and the stereotypes of, I mean, just look at the movies, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and you, you know, Boiler Room and all those. it's the typical salesperson. And I think everybody probably has a bad sales story where an inexperienced, poorly trained salesperson simply tried pitching what they wanted to pitch. And I think that's why, again, sales has a bad name. But when done professionally, what we're really doing is we're helping people buy. That's my definition of sales. Everybody likes to buy, but people want to be in control of that decision. So if we can facilitate that, and if I can make it all about you and enter into a conversation where I would suggest to you that, hey, Clark, depending on your situation, we may have something here that potentially could help you too. And again, I would tailor that to whatever it is I'm selling and whatever it is that you're engaged in that would that my offer would appeal to. And then I'd simply say, and uh, we've done it for a lot of other people in your situation, simply like to ask you a few questions, see if we might have the basis for further conversation. And now we're having a conversation. I'm asking questions. You're answering. You're curious. Notice I didn't talk about my thing, which is a product or service. And that's when people get in trouble. That's when they're salesy, when they, when they talk about their thing, right? People can obj- object to things, but results... That's what we're interested in. We, we, mm-hmm. we want to get something. And if we're curious about what we might be able to get, then we're going to engage in a conversation. Mm-hmm. So I guess a better way of wording that question would be like, how, how do you think that smart calling is different from cold calling? Like what are, what are the fundamental differences there? Well, that's really easy. So again, cold calling by definition is a salesperson calling somebody they don't know who doesn't know them. They, ha- they don't know anything about the person. They're calling a name or a lead or a number and they're getting that person on the phone. And, and by the way, the same thing is done through bad emails, which I get every day. 
and they're just giving a pitch and they're talking about what they want to talk about, which probably is not on target. And it may not even be relevant for the person hearing that message. So those have almost a hundred percent chance of being ignored or being rejected, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what a smart call is, is when I have identified my audience and I've identified my possible value proposition, why they might be interested in, in what I have. I've identified how I've done this before for other people. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my research on you and your organization and your situation so that I can tailor my messaging, number one, to create some attention, some interest and curiosity so I can engage you in conversation. And also what I'm doing through a personalized message is I'm letting you know that I respect you and I respect your time and that I have something here that is about you, not just what I wanna sell. And then as a result of doing that research, I'm going to be able to ask better questions because I'm always gonna ask a better question if I already have an idea of the answer, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna be able to guide you into this conversation where hopefully I'm gonna get you into a frame of mind where you're gonna be more receptive now and interested in hearing my recommendation, which would be the solution to whatever need you have or problem that you have, which of course we would uncover together uh, as a result of questioning. So those are the main differences between cold calling and, and smart calling. It sounds like you do a lot of work before you even pick up the phone. Absolutely. What does that, what does that process look like for you? Well, what the process looks like is well, we go, we go way back on a, on a macro level. It's again, really identifying who are all my possible prospects out there. And in digital marketing or copywriting, we call it our avatar, right? So in our case, we may have five or 10 different possible decision makers at different levels, depending on what I'm selling. And they may all want different things as it relates to my type of product or service. Or if I'm doing more of a transactional sale, if I'm selling office supplies to an office manager, maybe I've I've got one. But in any event, I really need to understand who am I talking to, what's going on in their world as it relates to my type of product or service, why might they be interested in? Why, why might they be interested and what might they be interested in? And that's the problem with a lot of sales training. They'll have features and benefits training and they'll just say, here's a feature, here's a benefit. As opposed to why would somebody even want this and what's going on in their world? So then what I do is, of course, you, you do that. I mean, that should just be part of your regular sales training and then revisit it on a regular basis. Then after that, when in, in, as part of my calling day or even before my calling day, I'm doing my research on the people that I'm calling. So I'm doing several things. Of course, I'm going online to, to do my research. I'm going to probably Google them. I'm probably uh, most definitely going to go to LinkedIn. If there's any industry-specific sites that uh, might be useful, I'm going to visit those as well. If I'm subscribed to any of the premium services like you know Discover or Zoom Info, and uh, matter of fact, I've uh, co-branded one with one of the top uh, sales intel guys in the world. His name's Sam Richter. And uh, if anybody's interested in that, it's called smartcallingintel.com, smartcallingintel.com. Cut your research time probably by 10 times. 
And then what I'm also doing is the very best form of uh, gathering sales intelligence, which is real time with real people. And that is called social engineering. And that's talking to someone within the prospects organization for the sole purpose of asking questions. And we, you know, the, you know that term was um, originally popularized by computer hackers in the 90s. And uh, unfortunately, it's still going on where computer hackers would just call into companies and, and they would uh, misrepresent themselves and, and try to get passwords and other information so they could you know, do some hacking or phishing. And what we're doing it for is, of course, for good purposes so that we can have a better, more personalized, customized mm -hmm. message when we ultimately get the decision maker on the phone. And then I'm plugging all that into my smart calling process, which is used to create our messaging for both our, our voicemails, our opening statements, and in mails and emails as well. So there's, a, I mean, a common thread there. We don't need to change our messaging every time mm -hmm. if, if it's going to be the one that hopefully resonates with our prospect. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of a really just rock solid opening statement that you've used and tell us what niche it was in? Yeah, sure. Well, let, let me just use one that I'm familiar with because it's it's me in my industry and the process I go through prior to this is exactly what, what I just told you. So I would have identified that here's an organization that is um, of, of fairly good size because they're going to be able to, to pay me. I'm not the cheapest guy out there. Somebody that I want to work with because I can kind of pick and choose who I want to work with now. And uh, I, I know that they're doing prospecting either because A, I got a phone call from them that was not very good, or I identified them as somebody I wanted to work with, did some research and found out through a variety of different ways that they're doing prospecting. Might have been, I, I saw uh, their employment ads where they're, they're listing cold calling or prospecting or I'll go on LinkedIn and I see somebody has the title of business development rep and then I'll poke around, see who that person might be, who's, who's the, the main prospect. And then I will research them. I'll go, go to LinkedIn, uh, you know, check out the company, go through that entire process. And then where I'm really getting my best information is social engineering. Well, I call into the sales department and get a sales rep on the phone. And uh, my process for that is, uh, hey Clark, our subject here with business by phone. First, I wanna let you know that I'm not a prospect for you, but what I have is probably going to benefit you in the long run. And uh, I'm gonna be speaking to your VP, Pat Seller, and uh, I'd like to ask you a couple questions so I'm prepared when I speak with her. Now, I'm going to ask you questions all about your prospecting process and how many calls you have to make and what's the quota, what kind of training have you received, how is it working, if it's not working, why, why is that, what's the general morale there, uh, what's the initiative for the year. So you can see when I'm armed with all this information, I am going to be able to put together a pretty good message that's going to resonate with that decision maker. And then I'll do something else in advance. I'll, I'll do what uh, my friend Stu Heineck, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Stu wrote a couple books. One's called Get the Meeting and the other one's called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. And he's a proponent of what's called contact marketing. And that is simply sending something in advance of your 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 your, your uh, not face to face, but any voice contact. And uh, he's got all, all kinds of different wild campaigns, but it could be as simple as just sending a letter, or in my case, I'll send a copy of my book. And 
if somebody hasn't written a book, that's okay. You can send someone else's book. I mean, feel free to send one of mine, anybody. So, uh, <laughs> so I'll send a copy of the book and nothing more than, uh, hey, Clark, uh, wanted you to have this. I understand you guys do prospecting there. Uh, I'll, I'll be contacting you shortly. And so now they got the book. And uh, in many cases, what I'll do as well is I will call in advance, talk to the assistant. Some people like to call him gatekeeper, but I like to call him assistant. I will let the assistant know that it's coming. In some cases, I will address it to her or him and have them hand deliver it. And then I'll let them know that I will be calling the boss back. So all that in advance, right? So then the, the opening statement is, let me just break it down for you. Step number one is identify yourself and your organization. Hey Clark, Art Subcheck here with Business by Phone. Then I would normally add, I'm the guy that sent you the smart calling book the other day. So right now we're gonna have a little bit of, of an icebreaker. Then I'm going to use our connection. Our, my, my connection is any of the smart calling intel that I've developed, uh, that I've uncovered. So in my case, it may be something like, hey, in speaking with some of your sales reps, I understand that you have a new business quota for the year and they've been struggling a little bit in uh, getting meetings that turn into opportunities. Okay, so that's the connection, something I know about you. Now I'm going to say my specialty. I specialize in working with sales teams in helping them to use a proven process to place successful prospecting calls without morale killing rejection. Hundreds of thousands of sales pros worldwide are using the process now. And I'd simply like to ask you a few questions to see if we might have the basis for further conversation. That was excellent. <laughs> I mean, as, as uh, I would expect, obviously, because you've been doing this and you're, you're kind of the guy when it comes to cold calling. But man, I, I've got to tell you, I never, I never gave up on cold calling myself. I actually went down the rabbit hole that you warn people about of don't think social media replaces actual like person to person contact. You need to, the, and my whole company now, what I do is I, I use social media to get phone calls, right? And I do that for financial advisors. Mm -hmm. But when I needed to get financial advisors, I would just pick up the phone and I would call them. And I, I guess I used a decent amount of your techniques without even knowing it, of the smart calling technique. But man, did I just learn a lot in that little bit. <laughs> Well, I'm taking notes over here as fast as I can. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, here's the thing too. It's that that process works regardless of what has happened up to the point where I get to speak with somebody. I mean, that process would work had I not sent you a book and you had never heard of me before because now I'm still tailoring and customizing the message. But let's say that that person had replied, you know, reached out to me. They replied to social media. Maybe they commented on one of my articles. You know, maybe as a result of some, one of my campaigns, uh, you know, I've got a huge email list. Maybe they just reached out to me and said, hey, let's talk about training. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to go through the process. 
and I'm still going to know something about you before I call because I'm not just going to call you up and go, hey, Clark, yeah, you wanted some information on training. What do you need? And I mean, that's a mistake as well. So the, I mean, the smart calling process works regardless of what, what has happened up to this point. But if somebody just has to generate meetings and revenue pretty quickly, again, the phone is the quickest way to do it. I mean, if I can get people raising their hand, asking me to call them, that is awesome because there's going to be probably a higher probability of success with those people. But for if you've got any new entrepreneurs out there and you know the phone's not ringing and people are not you know uh, filling out your form saying, please contact me, I want to buy from you, the, the, the phone is the quickest way to do it as most anybody who's been in business and had to do it that way can attest. So one thing that I've noticed is that gatekeepers oftentimes have different incentives than decision makers. Now, a lot of times the gatekeeper's job is to just weed out decision makers, even if you're the guy who the decision maker needs to talk to and doesn't even know it. How do you handle like that? The, the gatekeeper's incentives, do you try to identify like what, what their incentives are and who, well who yeah of course i mean the, the first thing we do is we we don't call them gatekeepers because just by just by the nature of that term we're looking at them as somebody who is the enemy right somebody to go above through under over and that's the problem here's the thing a lot of salespeople don't realize this assistants, if you call them gatekeepers, if you want, are much better at getting rid of salespeople than salespeople are at trying to go above, around, through, or over them. And when, when, when assistants can spot somebody who's trying to technique them, what do you think happens? Of course, they're just going to brush them away and they're probably going to laugh at them. So one thing is mindset assistance, and that's my term for them, because they're the, the decision makers assistance as well as ours. What is their job? It's not to get rid of everybody. It's to protect the decision makers time. And that actually is our goal as well, because we don't want the decision maker to be talking to every single sales rep out there. We want them to just talking to the people who have something of value, which of course would be us. And if when I go in with that attitude, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to help them do their job. So, and, and actually I like to engage them in the social engineering process as well. But if they want to know what the call's in reference to, we give them a version of our opening statement. So for example, I call in, I reach an assistant. Um, yeah, may I tell them who's calling? Yeah, this is our subject with business by phone. Okay, what's this in reference to? Oh, well, you probably work closely with him, don't you? I would assume. Yeah, I do. I'm his assistant. Oh, great. Well, what we do is we specialize in working with sales teams who have new business quotas, which I understand you do. And I also heard that. Now, see, I'm giving a version of the opening statement. So really, the purpose for my call is to ask a few questions to see if what we have might be of some value to him in helping more of your reps hit those numbers. Matter of fact, I bet you could answer some questions for me, too. So now I'm engaging that person and so what's going to happen Engage the assistant. Absolutely. Wow. I'm getting that person involved because think about who does that people who aren't afraid, people who aren't trying to go through them. 
and if I've already just given my reason why I'm calling, now they understand that, oh, this person's different than everybody that just wants to pitch their stuff. And yeah, that is something that we're interested in. And see, just by virtue of me asking questions, I'm showing respect for that person. I'm showing respect for the decision maker's time. And I'm also building some likability with that person. And then also what's going to happen is ultimately we're going to reach the point where she or he's probably going to say, well, you know what? You probably need to speak with him or her about that. That's brilliant. That is really brilliant. So another thing that I face all the time personally, and, and I lo- like I said, I've been looking for this conversation because I knew I was going to extract so much personal value from it in addition to helping our audience out. But um, because I work with financial advisors, they're always in meetings with clients. Mm -hmm. And so I get the voicemail, like particularly like more, more than most niches because, um, because financial advisors typically just book their calendar back to back to back with client meetings and respond to all their voicemails at the end of the day. So, uh, I know that you've already given, uh, from my research on you, you've already you know, it said that you should create some kind of curiosity or ask a question or leave them wondering. Can you kind of expand on, on that and what a good example that would be? Another one? Like, what, what, what's a good voicemail? What, what, what does a good voicemail constitute of? Well, a good, a good voicemail would be pretty much the same as the opening statement that I just gave you. And the difference would be the end. Okay, so let me let me take your industry. So you said you specialize in working with financial advisors, doing digital marketing for them to what's what's your what's your possible value proposition? What's the end result that you're delivering for financial advisors? The end result would be booking um, five or more high net worth clients per month. That's that's like the measurable result. Okay, all right. So I would, uh, a good voicemail for you, just based on that. And again, I'm just, I'm weaning this and we're going to make some assumptions here. So I would say, hey, Mr. Advisor, this is Clark Barron with, and uh, you, you name your company. Uh, I understand that your, your advisory firm specializes in working with high net worth clients based on what I saw on your website and some of your social media posts. What we do here is we, we specialize in doing just that for advisors. Uh, matter of fact, most of our clients have been able to see at least five or more new, did you say opportunities or, or clients? Clients. Okay. Most, most, of our, most of our clients have been able to see at least five new clients per month as a result of what we've done for them. And then I might add some other benefit here, something else that makes you unique without, without any increase in advertising spend, without any cold calling, yeah. without, okay. And then I would say, and a purpose for my call is to ask you a few questions, see if it'd be worth it for us to have a conversation. I will call you back on Friday morning if you'd like to reach me in the meantime, or if you have another time that works better, I'll send you an email. Just please hit reply. Well, it reminds me in like direct marketing, it reminds me of the irresistible offer. Like you just state your irresistible offer, which is like the, hey, I can help you do this without that. Mm-hmm. And then you just state, here's how I'm going to follow up with you. 
Well, you know, I mean, let's face it, good messaging is good messaging. And I've, I've used the same stuff on phone calls as voicemails, as emails, as in the millions of, word of words of copy I've written over the years as well. And it's, I mean, it's good, it's good psychology, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that people don't want to be pitched. And if, if I start out with, um, Hey, this is Clark Vern, and uh, what I do is I have a digital uh, ad agency, and what I want to do is talk about um, how how I work with financial advisors and uh, how you could become one of my clients. And <laughs> believe it or not, there are people saying that type of thing, and, mm -hmm. and then they would might go on and say, "Well, I do this, 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 and this," and the listing, your know, laundry listing, all the different services they do. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we do SEO and we do this and this. And of course, what, what are people doing at the other end of the line? I don't need a, dig, a digital agency. You know, I'm all good. I don't want to spend money on advertising. And the thing is, we just don't want to talk about the product or service. We need to just get, get them interested, get them leaning in, get them curious, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right about that. So I, uh, I hired a new assistant um, a few weeks ago. And he's helping me do some of this like lead generation using pretty much the smart calling technique. Um, his biggest barrier is overcoming fear and rejection. It's the mindset piece. So I like when I broke my mindset, you know, when I, when I basically conditioned myself to not fear failure, a big part of it was as a kid, I was going door to door selling popcorn for boy mm -hmm. scouts. <laughs> yeah done that and um and then after that i i've heard uh before like aim for hitting 20 rejections a day like change the target rather rather than trying to you know make a sale that day go for like 20 rejections and at least that keeps you going on the phone that that like keeps you calling rather than focusing on oh i still haven't hit my goal right what do you think like what do you think are the biggest mindset um, shifts that people need to make and is is what I said even good advice do you should you just brute force it and and just try to crush that, crush the beliefs through practice or what, what do you have to say about that well I, I suggest we totally change our definition of what happens to us on the phone from something negative to something positive and therefore that means just getting rid of the word rejection because in and of itself if i tell you clark you need to love rejection is is that something that's going to compute is that something that that is even possible no i mean it's really not because as a human we can't love rejection so what i do with people in workshops is i'll always ask okay who here has been rejected before on a phone call and of course everybody raise their hand and i'll say well how do you know and I know all the answers. Well, I got to know. Or they hung up on me. Or they said, you know, don't call anymore. We're all good. I said, okay, great. Anybody's ever placed a phone call before, we've had those things happen to us. Now, let's revisit this rejection thing. Is rejection, so let's define all those things that, that just happened to us. Those are experiences, right? Now, what is rejection? Is rejection the experience itself or the way you define the experience? And it's always the way you define it. Because I could take two people, they both just got to know. 
One is devastated and said, oh God, I got rejected again. It was the 20th time today, but I got to get five more and then I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. Said no one ever, right? I take another person, they got to know and they go, well, you know what? Uh, we found out the timing wasn't right and I left the door open for, a few, for the future and I found out who their existing vendor is. So, plus I learned something from the call. So what happened there? Totally different way of looking at the experience and they just told themselves a different story. Now, who's gonna feel better about themselves at the end of the day? I mean, if somebody says, I, you know, I'm getting rejected all day long, you may as well just tell yourself that you're an awful person. And what's gonna happen is that our thoughts are going to follow our words. And, and then eventually people, they avoid placing calls or they get out of the business entirely. So that's one thing that we have to do. And, and let's face it, in sales as a profession, probably more so than any other profession, our success and our results relies on our attitude when we're performing. I mean, accountants can come in and probably feel like dirt and still put out a passable sp spreadsheet, but that's a lot harder for us to do as salespeople. So we got to be proactive in keeping our attitude up. So number one is telling yourself different stories about what happens to you on your calls. And then the other one is, and this is huge, go for a win on every single call. And that could be just an attempt. It could be a question that you ask, or it could be just leaving them with a good feeling of your company. Or it could be just knowing that I got a decision. So I got a win. So now instead of saying I got rejected 20 times, yeah, I, I accomplished my primary objective four times, which would be getting the meeting. And then I accomplished my secondary the rest of the time. So it's, I mean, it's really all just what are we telling ourselves? And if we have the opportunity to tell ourselves better stories, why in the world wouldn't we do it? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I especially love what you said about like counting the little wins. I think that's so underrated. Like counting the little wins, especially for people who are uh, entrepreneurs or, you know, entrepreneurs and salespeople are basically like the same personality almost, you know, especially yeah, yeah. if you're a commission-based salesperson, you're basically like an intrapreneur. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got to say that counting the little wins is like one of my core values because it's so easy to put the focus on results right away um, rather than like learning and growing, which at the early stage of starting a business, you really just got to focus on like, Hey, I got to just learn and, and grow. And as long as I'm learning and growing, then I know that I'm moving in the right direction. Even though I haven't, you know, on, on like, even though I haven't, you know, made a million bucks yet or whatever the goal is. So, um, yeah, I really like that. Also, one thing that makes me like really curious is you have published how many books now? Well, I've, let's see, I did, I've self-published five of my own. And then up until about probably seven, eight years ago, I was also a publishing company publishing for other authors in my niche. So I think I did 10 books for other authors because I had the platform, I had the audience. And when you're in the publishing business, it, uh, you know, paper's fairly cheap. And if you're selling business books, there's a pretty good margin there. And uh, so we, we kind of got away from that. And then with, with smart calling, 
the benefit of going with a major publisher is that they're going to get you in bookstores and other places that you normally don't get into as a, a self-publisher. You don't make as much on the sale of the books because, of course, you're just getting a smaller royalty now. But um, it, it, it's great for the exposure and, and the platform. And that's what I wanted to do with, with Smart Calling, which I made into a brand. And how do you, like, you've already kind of mentioned that, like, contacts, is it, do you call it contact selling? Contact marketing. Contact marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you already kind of explained how you'll, you would send your book to somebody, you know, a dream client in advance. Uh, how else did your book really change or grow your business? Did it have a pretty significant impact? Well, yeah, of course. Just, I mean, just the, the cachet of being published by a major publisher. I mean, I had been pretty well known in my niche up to that point, but what it did was when you're published by one of the major business publishers out there. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting recognized by people outside of your niche. Um, I, I can't count the number of speaking engagements I got just from people who picked up the book, had it recommended to them. They went on Amazon, read a review, and uh, then contacted me for, mm -hmm. for speaking, training, bought my other products, which, of course, was the intent for, for the book all along. I knew I wasn't mm -hmm. going to make as much money selling books, but, but I've made you know, 50 times of that just in the, in the speaking and training work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's really interesting as an aspiring author. I'm, um, I'm very excited to, to go through that process myself. Um, so question for you, Art, if you had to just leave one last piece of advice with people who are, you know, embracing this new age of entrepreneurship, where they're kind of joining, you know, the digital economy, uh, what piece of advice would you leave them with? Well, one would be something that I did not do, and that would be get into a niche and some people might say, well, the phone was your niche, but that's a pretty broad niche. I, if I were doing it all over again, I would probably, I'm not sure if I would do it all differently, but for, for somebody, if I'm giving advice to, I would say pick a, pick a niche and become excellent at whatever it is that you do. And I mean, where you can say nobody is better at this for the group that I serve than me. Because when you do that, now you're not one of many, you're, you're the specialist. Mm -hmm. And everything you do should be focused on building up your expertise and your brand in that area. And, and then that will help you to become more attractive to your audience. And uh, also, because of your expertise, then you're going to be delivering awesome service. And then, then you won't have to prospect as much. You'll have people knocking your door down. But, of course, that doesn't happen overnight. But um, that's, that's what I would, I would definitely focus on. Awesome. I love it. I think that's great advice. And Sounds lastly, like you're doing that. What? <laughs> Sounds like you're doing that. Yeah, totally. I, I, th I fully believe in focusing on a niche. And I always use the example of Amazon didn't start off being the everything store. They started off just selling books and became the best at books. And then once they became the best at books, they added one product on and then became the best at that. Uh, until even though Jeff Bezos had the 
had the idea of becoming the everything store right from the start, he knew he had to master one vertical before he mastered them all. And they were losing tons of money in the process. <laughs> <laughs> well, Art, where can people reach you? Where can people follow you, learn more about your stuff, buy your books, buy your courses? This has been an amazingly insightful conversation. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who want to keep learning more. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. A couple things. One is get the book. It has its own site, which is smart-calling.com, smart-calling.com. And the reason I say go there is that we've got buttons there for all the retailers of choice. And then very importantly, I had so much that I wanted to put in the book, but the publisher wouldn't let me because uh, they wouldn't let me do a 2000 page uh, multimedia book. So I have a companion training resource that is absolutely free for people who buy the book. So after you buy the book, go back to that page and then just click the button. You get immediate access to that. And if I had to sell that, I would sell that easily for a couple hundred bucks. So there's audio, video, webinars, uh, scripts, all kinds of great stuff there. So that's smart-calling.com. And then my my main site, which is also where my blog is at, is simply smartcalling, no dash, smartcalling.com. Lots of free content there. And uh, also there's there's tabs for all my other stuff. If you're interested in training, interested in the, any of the other resources we have. And then I also have a podcast as well, which is called theartofsales.com, theartofsales.com. I love it. Thank you, Art. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've learned a tremendous amount. I'm sure our audience has learned a ton too. And uh, just got to say thanks for your time. Well, thank you so much and uh, happy to help. If I can help anybody out there, don't hesitate to, to reach out. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. And if you do, just mention that you, you saw me on the show here because I'm big on personalized connections. I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed that episode of The Age of Entrepreneurs. As always, if you want more content like this, go to theageofentrepreneurs.com to subscribe and receive an email when our next episodes come out. One thing that Art and I talked after the podcast was that I'm going to write an article for his newsletter on how I use assistance in the Philippines in order to do a lot of that smart side of the cold call where we do the research and understand their pains and know what they really need. So when I pick up the phone every day, I can have a very tailored conversation without spending half an hour per phone call doing all that research. If you would like to hear about the, that, those tactics, then subscribe at theageofentrepreneurs.com and I'll let you know when they're available.